The following podcast is a Dear Media production. She's a lifestyle blogger extraordinaire. Fantastic. And he's a serial entrepreneur. A very smart cookie. And now Lauren Everts and Michael Bostick are bringing you along for the ride. Get ready for some major realness. Welcome to the Skinny Confidential, him and her. Aha! The bell, the doorbell, especially if you have dogs, which I do, we will start barking and like someone will start screaming, can someone answer the door? All of that takes your cortisol level from like zero to a hundred in a nanosecond. And that is the worst thing you can do. It's like you're literally bruising your adrenal glands. Hello, hello. You have a solo episode with me. Well, kind of a solo episode. I invited one of my very dear friends on the podcast. Her name is Ingrid Delamar Kenny. I'm sure you guys have seen her on my Instagram stories. She is my wellness guru. She just knows her shit when it comes to health, wellness, and hormones. We had her on the podcast before. It was episode 139, and she shared her story, which is a crazy story about her son who experienced autism and how she sort of healed him from that. And then she also talks about her stint in prison. You can hear that a whole story on episode 139. But this episode is going to be really, really wellness heavy. We talk about ghrelin, cortisol, your leptin hormone, hormones in general, um, how important it is to sit down when you're eating and relax instead of being a high stress situation. We discuss insulin resistance, inulin, all these little niche wellness things that we're not paying attention to. We go all over the place. And this is honestly like we're having happy hour and you guys are just listening. Ingrid lives in Monaco. So this was a Skype conversation. But I can assure you she will come back on next time we are in person together and we will do another podcast. To give you a little background, I stalked Ingrid on Instagram for a while. I was a big fan of her wellness content about five years ago. And then I happened to be in Monaco and she happened to be at the same restaurant and I couldn't believe it. So I connected with her on Instagram and from there, this beautiful friendship blossomed. I talked to her almost every day and she's just such a bright light. She's beautiful. She's smart. She's unapologetically herself. And I just feel like she's a great representation of a badass woman. This episode, like I said, is going to be more wellness heavy. I think you guys are going to be obsessed With that, let's welcome Ingrid Delamar Kenny to the Skinny Confidential, him and her show. She's a digital creator, an author, an entrepreneur, and a business owner. She's also a mother and the creator of The Method. You have to check out her products at Gangster Chic and one of my very best friends. Ingrid, welcome to the show. This is the Skinny Confidential, him and her. So we're only an hour late to this podcast because Taylor was doing God knows what, beating his meat in the car. We don't know. We're finally all set up, but we are recording live from Monaco. Not necessarily me, but Ingrid, one of my best friends, someone who I met on Instagram, which I'm sure we'll get into, and someone who's been on the podcast before is back. And the reason I wanted to have her back is because She came on the podcast and told a lot of her life story, which is incredible. And you guys have to go listen to that episode. And she just wrote a book about it, 
called Fuck My Life. And that's all about her experience of being a young mother and being in the prison system at a very young age and what she went through and how she made it through the rain. She rose like a fucking phoenix, basically. Today, I wanted to bring her on because I wanted to talk about niche wellness tips. She is the queen of niche wellness tips. She's obviously living in France, which is a totally sort of different way of living. And I kicked Michael off this episode because I want to get all the juice on the wellness for you guys. So with that, Ingrid, can you give us a little bit of background, specifically your background in the wellness industry? Hi, first of all. I'm so happy to be back. A little bit about how I got into the wellness industry. I opened a studio in Monaco about six and a half years ago called The Method. And I specialized in something that was based on the fundamentals of Pilates. And it was the workout that you've done with me. You actually trained with me for, I think, over a year. And as I opened that studio to open this kind of place in in Monaco, you have to have certain certifications. It's not that you just open it and have a Pilates certification. I not only had to patent the method, so... Patenting it also had to come with certain certifications. My certifications are in fitness and hormonal response physiology. And I became completely obsessed with the whole hormonal aspect of fitness because I realized as I was training clients, you one of them, that once people walked out the door, there was still a whole world of what are they eating? What is their environment? What are they doing for their mental health, anxiety, cortisol levels that is affecting the work that I was doing on their body? And so at that point, maybe a year and a half into the method studio, I realized that I really needed to elaborate a little bit more. And this is when I started to really talk about hormones. And then I was inspired by you. That's why I often call you my muse to bring Simply Inulin on the market. And from there came the whole line of products. And that's pretty much how I situated myself in the wellness industry was really from a need to see that fitness, no matter how great the program, I know you'll say the same. The method is probably as good as it gets to get into places in your body that you've never felt before, but there's still a whole other thing that we don't look at once you walk out the door, once you've done that workout that needs to align and hormones is one of them. So that's pretty much how I've situated myself in the industry. Like I said, to to patent something like the method, we have 348 movements that are patented, and we just added 58 more in the past year just to get this patent. There's a lot of this legal aspect. There's a lot of things, but one of them has that is that you have to have certifications in physiology, in fitness physiology, and choosing hormones is probably the best thing that I've ever done because I was concerned about mine. I've seen changes on me that prompted me to realize that the clients that were coming and seeing results, but maybe not getting optimal results were, were before was because of the hormones. Okay. So hormones, we've had people on the podcast come on and talk about it, but they, they make it sometimes so complex. And what I appreciate about the way that you deliver content about hormones is it's more simplified. How many of us are walking around with hormone problems and don't know it? All of us. 
Okay. So can you elaborate on that? Are we low on testosterone? Are we high? Like, what are you seeing? Are you seeing weight gain, weight loss? How much are our hormones controlling, like, what our life is? So your hormones control controls your whole life. It actually even controls your relationships. And before I get into it, I have to say you had some brilliant people coming to talk about hormones and you had doctors, which I'm not certified in physiology and hormonal response, but I'm not a doctor. So the way that I look at it is a little bit more practical rather than medical or scientific, if you will. Hormones control everything. And I know I've said the gut controls everything and it's true as well. It, the Both of them are so correlated. Hormones control pretty much everything. And we all walk around with hormonal issues, not because we're all unhealthy, but because we all age. And as you age, you go through different stages in your life, different hormonal stages. And that's what I've noticed on me. I had a really good metabolism. And then as I age, had three kids, I found that my body reacted differently to certain things at the age of 25. And then again, at the age of 28. And then again, at the age of 32, the age of 40 now, and now I'm 43. So I saw all of these changes in me. And then through experience with clients, I've noticed the same for them. And medically, this is very true. So often you will see weight gain. And actually, when you go see a doctor and you say, I've gained 10 pounds, he's going to look at possibly your hormonal levels and they'll say, oh yeah, your levels are, you know, middle range. It's normal that you gained about 10 pounds and they'll send you on your way and you'll be really unsatisfied with that consultation. But to the doctor, looking on the chart, looking at your age, looking at whether you've had children or not, that weight gain of 10 pounds about every five to six years is kind of normal. That's what happens with your hormones. So you'll notice, for example, I spoke about this today. At some point, I don't think it happened to you yet, but it can happen to you. Uh, you'll realize that you're growing a really long hair under your chin and it's like coarse and black. And that happens to so many women who have no idea what that is. And that is a hormonal imbalance that comes from age, for example. So we all kind of walk around at one point or the other with a hormonal imbalance without knowing it. And then add to that, especially then in North America, that we're consuming all these foods. You guys are consuming all these foods. I don't consume them anymore, but we, we're starting to have that also in Europe that, that also affect the endocrine system and your environment and the noise around you and all of these things. So your hormones are constantly affected and you have to be a little bit more aware of them so you can constantly work to level them back. What are some ingredients that we can look for in our food that you would stay away from? For instance, I know one that I try to stay away from is soy. Is there any others? Quick break because I need to discuss birth control. I've recently had so many DMs from women all over the world asking for more resources and information and discussion around birth control. So... I learned recently that there are more than 21 million women who are not using hormonal birth control, and I'm one of them. But now the FDA recently approved a birth control option that's completely hormone-free. You guys may have seen me talk about this on Instagram already. So it's called Fexi, and it's this combination of lactic acid, 1.8%, citric acid, 1%, potassium bitrate, 0.4%. 
It's this vaginal birth control gel that comes in a small applicator like a tampon and it works immediately and can be used up to an hour before sex. So basically you apply the gel before you have sex and only use it when you need it. But you have to apply it again before each act of vaginal sex. So when you try it, remember one dose, one hour, one act. And I have to tell you guys how it works because it's insane really. Like I kind of geeked out when I learned this. And you know me, I had to overshare. We're going to go there. Normally, without Fexi, when a guy comes and semen enters the vagina, it causes the pH of your vagina to increase, which allows sperm to keep swimming and make their way up there to fertilize your egg. Are you listening, Michael and Taylor? So Fexi works by maintaining the vaginal pH to a level that reduces the mobility of the sperm, reducing the chance of the sperm reaching the egg. How awesome is that? While Fexi could be a great option for many women like me who are seeking hormone-free birth control, it isn't right for everyone. So be sure to tell your healthcare provider if you have a recent history of three or more urinary tract infections per year. And obviously, as with any new birth control, be sure to check for any ingredients in Fexi you or your partner may be allergic to. The most common side effects reported by clinical trial participants are vaginal burning, itching, and yeast infection. Some male partners also reported local discomfort. And remember, Fexi only works when used before sex and it doesn't protect against STIs, including HIV. To learn more about Fexi, ask your healthcare provider and visit Fexi.com for complete product information. That is P-H-E-X-X-I.com. And Michael, don't pop a boner. So soy is a big one. It's a really big one. And it's recommended for women that are going into menopause, for example. So those people will say, but they told me to consume it. Unfortunately, soy is probably the most hormonal, the the, the biggest hormonal disruptor that you will find, especially because today's soy is not even natural. It's very modified, but soy is an estrogen mimicker. And today, many women are in estrogen dominance, starting at the age of like 25 to 28 because of what's in the food. Then you have to look for stuff like all these gums that are in plant-based milks and in some vinaigrettes and sauces that you can buy. It's in everything. People that are also vegan and buying like these veggie burgers and all that stuff, there's a lot of endocrine disruptors and estrogen mimickers and those things. So for example, you have to look for soy and it has different kinds of names like lecithin, gums, any kind of gums. Anytime you see the word gum, you have to worry. So when you see the xanthan gum in the plant-based milks, you have to be careful with all of that stuff. And then stuff like stevia, truvia, they're natural plants, but they're natural plants that are estrogen mimickers. So you have to be really careful because there are so many things that we do in our everyday lives, a lot of environments that we subject ourselves to that already bring our estrogen levels up, plus what's hiding in our foods. So this is where you kind of have to look at at that stuff. Processed food. I know you, you hear that a lot. I listen to mostly all of your episodes and I know you hear that a lot, but processed food are the worst for hormonal disruption. And then, believe it or not, consuming stuff like yams a lot and stuff like miso and tofu, all of that stuff, even though they are really healthy. Miso, for example, is a probiotic. They're also estrogen mimickers. So when people become obsessed with certain foods and they consume them so, so much, they have to be careful with that. 
that's a very American tendency. Like they love miso soup and they realize they're losing a little bit of weight. So they'll have it like every two days. I have more of a French approach. If something is delicious, have it once every 15 days, for example. So you can keep the pleasure of it and nothing will happen. Not just from consuming it once in a while or twice a month. But you have to be careful. They are, even vegetables like yams can be, if you consume them too much, can be estrogen mimickers. So if you lived in America, what are some foods, brands, whatever, how would you be eating here? You have some websites and you and, have, you and I have exchanged some over the years. So I'm, I'm sure you'll share them. There are some websites where you can buy, for example, olive oil from Italy cold press from Italy. There are things that you can buy from Italy, from France, for for example, the fiber pasta that I like. They now sell it in the United States. It's made in Italy. And even though it's not gluten-free, that gluten might not affect someone that's usually more intolerant to gluten because it's made in Italy and the gluten is different here than it is there in the United States. Then I would stay really as close as possible to shopping to the in the farmers market so a lot of farmer market a lot of farmer market i've told you that before there are also some very niche kind of butchers that you can go to and i know there's one in la i can't remember the name but i know she came in your podcast and they are very careful about the meat that they bring bel campo there you go So there are a few like that. You just have to be informed. And I think that the other thing to do is go to the Middle Eastern shops. I don't think you've ever heard me say that. But in Middle Eastern shops or Israeli shops that sell food from Israel and and the Middle East, they actually bring foods that are made there. So you will find stuff like labne, which is a probiotic yogurt. And it's so good and it's so pure and it's made there. So you you're sure they haven't added all of the shit that they add here. You will find stuff like kefir. You will find some raw cheese that are excellent for you. When you go to the farmer's market, the best thing to do is to look for fermented raw cheeses. So it says they actually, they have it in like those plastic boxes and they have those labels that they print and it says on there, raw fermented cheese and that you're eating a pure probiotic. If I lived in the United States still, that's what I would try to do. I would try to buy as much of this of this kind of foods. You mentioned American tendencies. And you've yes. mentioned this before on stories. What are American tendencies? Like, call it out. I would like to know. Maybe I, I want to be called out on my bullshit that I do. Like, is there things that you see that we're doing that is something that the French wouldn't do. I'm not saying one's better than the other. I just want to know what those are. Yeah, no, it's it's not even offensive. What I'm about to say, you're going to recognize, I've said this to you before, and realize this is also part of my culture. I'm both French and American, so I can say this, but Americans tend to be extra. And I always tell you that with food, like, don't be extra. When I used to look at your stories, when you found out something was good for you, you consumed it and you overconsumed it. A hundred percent. It's like crazy. It's like coming out of my ears. I just, I, I get like obsessed with something and I can't get off it. Yeah. And I, and I, and I remember if I remember correctly, right before you were pregnant with Zaza, you were going to the farmer's market a lot. You, you listened to me. You're buying all these amazing things, but then it was very recurrent. It was always the same stuff because you were worried about consuming anything else. And that is something that Americans do so much. 
And they do it in following diets or just following trends. It's the overconsumption of something good. And I always say there's an expression in French and it sounds better in French, but too much of a good thing is a bad thing. So that's really something that if you can help it, don't do it. If you are on some type of roll with something just because it's been so good for you, I don't know, a broccoli dish or whatever, don't have broccoli more than once a week. It's actually very um, déclassé in France to serve the same vegetable over and over in the same week, for example. And there's actually a, a health reason for that. In French medicine, it is believed that your body builds up defenses against certain things in vegetables. So 99.9% .9 of a vegetable, for example, has so many benefits. But 1% in that vegetable has defenses that defends them against being consumed. And so if you overconsume it, like Americans tend to do when something is good for them. So you tell them, for example, I don't know, eat a fatty acid. Avocado is amazing for you. They're going to eat avocados every single day. Whatever 0.01% is not good for you in avocado is going to start building up. And this is where you start having a problem and a healthy food starts not working for you. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. What are some things that you see French women or men doing that you think would be beneficial if we adopted here in America? For instance, like I'll say one, one of my favorite things that you do is you sit down for lunch and you actually converse and have a conversation with a person and lower your cortisol. In America, to me, lunch feels very rushed. It feels like crossing off something on your to-do list. For you, it feels like a ritual. It it, it brings your cortisol down. It, it, it just seems like it's more of a purposeful, meaningful moment as opposed to how we have lunch. Absolutely. And it's, I mean, in France, it's you will shock someone if you say you're skipping lunch. They'll look at you like, what do you mean? This is like part of life. The same way that you go to bed at night, you, you have lunch. And it, it's great because part of it is tradition and culture, but there's always a healthy you know, reason behind it as well. Another thing I would say that's important to do is to, that French women don't do, is to feed on salads. French people will never feed on salads. Salad is not a meal. And I know you've heard me say that so many times. And I, I think I wrote, I don't know, a hundred posts about that. But that's something you would never see where someone would order a big bowl of salad and call it a meal. Salad is actually a digestive dish. And very often, so at lunch, we'll have it like before the main course. But at dinner, you either have it on the side in a small plate or after dinner. And it's used as a way to ease your digestion and absorb your nutrients better, for example. So that's one thing that French women don't do or would not do unless they became Americanized from watching the Kardashians on TV with those big bowls of salad. I mean, th this culture is slowly, slowly cr crossing the Atlantic Ocean and coming here. So there, there are now some young women that are doing that from watching it so much on TV, on Housewives or especially on the Kardashians. But a real French woman would not feed on a salad. Like that's not a meal. So already the portion is so diminished and it makes uh, room to think about eating stuff that are way more nutritious in ways that are much easier on your digestion. Like having all these foods mixed together is not great 
what's much better is that having a piece of chicken in front of you and you slice it yourself and you, you know, bite into it and you chew it. And that whole process is actually so much better for your hormones, your um, neurological triggers, like the ghrelin hormone, which is your hunger hormone and your leptin hormone, your satiation hormone are actually much more potent when you have the food in front of you all separated on your plate and you cut it into pieces and you eat each and every one separately. I want to talk about alcohol. It yes. seems all that it also seems like there's a contrast. Can you speak on that? Because it seems like you're enjoying alcohol, but it's little bits as opposed to sometimes when I'm out with my friends, it's all about more, more, more. Ritual vitamins. I have been taking these pre-pregnancy, during pregnancy, post-pregnancy, and now they have essential for kids, which is so fun. They knew your kids were going to be picky, so they got all their bases covered, okay? Their mission here is for picky eaters by pickier parents. Ritual knows how difficult it can be to get your kids to get the nutrients they need. I told this story before, but I have a friend that her son is obsessed with Kraft mac and cheese. And what she's done is she's used Ritual Essential for Kids to help fill in the gaps of his diet. If you're wondering specifics here, this vitamin is for the ages of 4 to 12. And they're not going to taste bad. So your kids aren't going to be like, ugh, they're not shocky, okay? They have this natural citrus berry flavor that I've actually tried. It's so good. And they're convenient by design. So each gummy features a three-in-one design that combines a daily multi, vegan omega-3 DHA, and it's a good source of fiber per serving. My all-time favorite thing about Ritual, which is why we wanted them for so long as a partner of the show, is that they really show you on their website where everything comes from. So everything's traceable. You know what you're giving your kids and why and they have their whole supply chain laid out for you. I also have to tell you, definitely pick up the essential for women's while you're grabbing something for your kids. You won't regret it. It's perfect. I take it every morning. I take two. It's full of benefits for skin, for hair, for all the things. It has such a good reputation. I talk to people all the time who recommend Ritual. When it comes to what goes in our kids' bodies, they've got being picky down to a science. That's why Ritual is offering all Skinny Confidential, him and her listeners, 10% off during your first three months. Visit ritual.com skinny to start Ritual or add Essential for Kids today. Enjoy. Okay, so I could lie to you and tell you that that doesn't happen here, but that's not true. Again, the younger generations now are drinking a lot of alcohol. Social media, French young women following Australians, Americans, TV shows, all of that stuff. So that still happens here. But my generation or women like me who were raised by very traditional French parents and French mothers have another relationship with alcohol. And I'll tell you why. I started drinking alcohol when I was seven or eight years old. When I got curious about what wine tastes like, or what my dad's Johnny Walker black tasted like, he would put a little bit and in a, in a little glass and he would let me taste it. And this is actually, I think, what's made my relationship with alcohol so different than what you see when you go out now, even with the younger generations here in France, it's this, there's no stigma where, you know, in the United States, you're allowed to drink only when you're 21 years old. 
and it's very enforced in restaurants and you need a fake ID. In France, Dakota was with us for brunch uh, a week ago and we had some Bellinis and the waiter asked her, would you like a Bellini? And she's still very American in her head. So she's always getting shocked. Like, I can't believe they asked me if I want some. So that already makes our relationship with alcohol so much better where we don't go into excess and it's just a pleasure of the table. So you pretty much only have alcohol for as long as you have food in front of you. So for example, if I start drinking wine, I will probably ask for the bread basket and some butter to have with it. Whereas I find that in the States, people will start having one, two glasses of wine before they even go into food. And same for after dinner. We kind of stop drinking once we're done with our food. So that's already a big one. When we were in France with you, we had La Piscines. And I think that's such a good thing to drink because you also get the water from the ice. Can you describe that to everyone, what that is? I wrote a blog post on it um, where you broke it down, but just to give them a little peek inside that. So I'll tell you the story. My best friend, Brigitte, may she rest in peace. When I first moved to Monaco nine years ago, she was married to my today best friend, also Eric, and he was the director of Buddha Bar in Monaco. And having this type of job comes with, you have to have a certain behavior and your wife, everyone knows her. So when I started going out with Brigitte, she would say to me, look, we can't just get drunk out of our asses. I'm the wife of a Monaco director. Everyone knows us. We have to be really careful. So what I do is, I drink La Piscine. So I said, yeah, my parents used to drink La Piscine in the summer. So she, she would say, no, no, no. I drink La Piscine all the time. That way, when I go out, I can socialize with everyone. And when, while everyone is drinking and drinking, I'm still sipping on that big glass of wine. What it is, is it's a big glass of wine where you put first the ice cubes. So it's about three, four ice cubes, big ones. And you drown them with champagne or white wine. Some people like it with rosé. I don't love rosé. So it's personal taste. But And it's called la piscine. La piscine is a pool. So it's pretty much the idea of making a pool around those ice cubes. A pool of champagne or a pool of white wine. And you so it's actually so pleasant to drink. And you feel like you're drinking that, that huge cup of wine for hours while everyone else is downing their cocktails or Aperol spritz or whatever it is they're drinking. Have you ever had a hangover? Because I've never seen you have one. And if you have not had a hangover, what would you do if you had one? Because <laughs> I feel like you'd have a good tip. I have never had a hangover in oh my life. Oh my God, fuck you. Drunk. Are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> I'm not fucking kidding you. Who drove you back to the hotel when you guys were all drunk out of your asses and almost falling out of the boat? That's true. So we all went out on a boat. Where do we go? What's We went to San Marguerite. We went to like We went to Ilmar, the islands of Marguerite off of Cannes. So it's that that island where there's that beautiful restaurant right next to a convent. So there's a convent, a very old convent, and there's that beautiful restaurant. And we all got sloshed and we were with our friends Faith and Neil. Neil's been on the podcast before and Neil decided to order the most American thing possible, which was a huge like fruit punch 
tequila situation. No, it was a big mojito. It was a huge mojito. Do you remember? Yeah. How could I forget? I mean, yeah, I remember it. And Ingrid ended up having to drive the boat home with all of us hanging off for dear life. You looked like Corella DeVille in that scene where she's driving with her hair everywhere. (laughs) And yeah, and occasionally you harass me and still send me that. Would you do though if you did have a hangover? I know you would replenish electrolytes. Can you speak on if you're sick or if you have a hangover, what those little tiny things that you can do in your toolbox to fix it are? So the first thing I would do is eat a protein. Proteins like eggs, like an omelet, something like that, and bread will absorb the alcohol out of your body. And that's something that you don't hear, but it's absolutely true. So you should like, the best hangover cure is probably to have, believe it or not, homemade fries with eggs on top of them. That's very fattening. I understand that, but it's an amazing hangover cure. And then electrolytes. I'm told that H2Onulin, which are the electrolytes that that I sell, and this is not a plug, it actually makes complete sense. I never thought of selling it as a hangover cure because I don't want to encourage people to go drink so they can have it. But I heard that it takes care of the hangover in the matter of like 30 minutes it's because you replenish your electrolytes. Coconut water is incredible, just as long as it's pure and there's no, you know, nothing added in there. It's probably the best pure electrolytes and natural electrolytes you can find or put Himalayan salt in your water and drink it. So those are, those are great, but the most delicious one is definitely the homemade fries with some eggs on it. When I was with you and we were eating everywhere, I would say you order because you know the restaurant's better than me. And I felt like I wanted to experience how it is on a daily basis to go out with you. And you would always order pasta first. And I noticed that that there was no sort of guilt like like I see in so many of my friends in America. And now I don't know, again, if that's just different cultures or people I'm surrounding myself with, whatever when you have a cheat meal and do you even, you don't even call it a cheat meal. Can you, no, I don't have meals. Yeah, explain how you, how, how you have sort of that different mentality to say, I'm really blessed because I was brought up in a completely French household. And I would even say that if I said to my mom, I have a great relationship with food. She would say to me, food is not people. We don't have a relationship with food. You have relationship with people. You have emotions. We don't really have emotions about food. That's already something that I have. It's innate in me and I'm really lucky. I got to explore it though, because I grew up in the States and I lived my whole life in the States and I got to see what people mean by a relationship with food and all the fear mongering about certain foods and all of that stuff. But one thing, one tip I can give you, if you don't have the type of education that I've received, which is a a French culture thing where you don't even have a relationship with food. You don't, you don't harbor any emotion towards food. You're not scared of it. You don't hate it. You don't love it. You, You love certain things, but you don't have emotions towards food. You don't have what you call a relationship with food. If you don't have that and you need to think of it a certain way, what I would say is it in a way that you realize that logically nothing can happen to your weight if you just have this certain quantity. So this is why when you and I go out and you tell me to order and I always order a plate of pasta for us first and then I tell you, okay, after that we'll have the lemon uh, piccata, which is veal 
lemon veal and I know you love it because I know you love lemon and we'll have a vegetable with that on the side. This is the way that I put it. Have your pasta as an appetizer because you love pasta and you want some and having it as an appetizer, share it with somebody. So the portions in the United States are huge. So what I would do, and I think I've done this with you before, just to show you, you ask for a dessert plate for you and the person you're sharing with. And you order pasta and you fill up that dessert plate just enough for it to be appealing and chic. And eating that, logically, you're going to understand that it's a handful of pasta. Nothing can happen to your weight eating that handful of pasta. But what will happen, though, is that you will have your endorphins at an amazing level. You have this pleasure hormones that come into play. And this balances out so much in you. Your leptin hormone starts being so balanced. The neurosensors that travel from your, lep- from your leptin hormone, so that's your satiation hormone to your brain, will tell you that you're having a pleasure course that is pleasurable. And that's already 80% of feeling satiated. So knowing on top of it that you have that as an appetizer, you're not famished, you're not going to want to go for more because after that, you have another delicious meal that is your nutrition course. And so that main course that you have after the pasta is for the sole purpose of nourishing you. So a protein and a fiber, minerals, whatever you want, like so spinach, broccoli, whatever. That is so satisfying. And if you think about it, the whole logic behind it will, I think, strip you of any fear you may have of food. You've had pleasure and nutrition. It's just, and, and really in France, we, we don't really have any emotions. We have more logic when it comes to food. Some food is for pleasure. No one has ever thought of pasta as being nutritious, but it's definitely pleasure and pleasure is healthy. We need it. You absolutely need it to balance out your hormones. So going on a restrictive kind of uh, strain with a diet or whatever and cutting out those foods, you're actually cutting out some benefits out of your life. Let me ask you this. If someone's out there, they're listening, they want to lose 40 pounds, 20 pounds, 15 pounds, which way would you go about it? I feel like you wouldn't do what you're saying, the normal diet route. Well, let's say that when, I mean, diets... I'm not going to say I'm anti-diet, although I'm, I I do feel that when it stops working for someone, then they need to start looking elsewhere and hormones is probably the way to go. But by the time people get to me and ask me what to do, it means that they've tried diets before and they probably worked, but it probably wasn't permanent or it's probably caused some hormonal damage that now prevents any other diet that they're doing from working there is a point where your body gives out and doesn't want to obey anymore and respond to diets. And that's probably at that point that people get to me. So by the time people get to me, they've already had that whole history of dieting, whether it's worked or not. By the time they get to me, it's like, I'm losing a lot of hair. I lose a lot of weight, but my midsection is still super bloated or I have like fat stores around my midsection. And I don't know what I'm doing wrong because I'm eating salads every day and I'm eating under a thousand calories. So 
for someone who comes to me and tells me they've tried dieting and it doesn't work for them or it hasn't, it doesn't work for them anymore and they have 40 pounds to lose, I'm going to tap into their hormones. And the first thing I'm going to look into is what we can add. That usually means when you're dieting and it doesn't work for you anymore or it doesn't work, period, it means you've subtracted something out of your eating habits that is causing inflammation either in your gut or your hormones or both. So I'm probably going to add, the first thing I will add is fatty acids. And I bet you 99% of the time someone comes to me and needs to lose weight, I will ask them if they're eating this and that fatty acid and they'll say, no, never. And that usually is the problem. So that's the first thing I would do. Some fatty acids that you love. Can you give us a quick list? I love eggs, pine nuts, mackerel is amazing. What else? Your argan oil. Um, great. Argan oil is wonderful, but olive oil is great too. Sesame oil is wonderful. So when you want to make like some sort of a wok or whatever, use some smoked sesame oil. There's so many fatty acids that people are so scared of consuming because they were told that they cause weight gain. But the fact is that these fatty acids are the same things that are recommended, for example, to people who suffer from PCOS or people that have a problem with hypothyroidism or people that suffer from immune diseases like Hashimoto. And all of that is their hormonal condition. Like, so the first thing that any doctor, at least in France, in traditional French medicine, will do when someone comes to them with these hormonal issues, they will implement fatty acids into their diet again. And most of the people that suffer from this condition, because this condition causes weight gain, they've completely cut out those fatty acids. Eating sardines, for example, is amazing. I no love sardines. Eating sardines. Sardines are so underrated. They're so good. And if you if you don't like the taste, just close your eyes and plug your nose. They're so good for you, right? Just eat them. But there's ways of making them delicious. Also, if you start eating sardines and this and, and the fatty acids I'm talking about were really what was missing in your diet, you will start actually craving them. The body has this way. Once you give them those fundamental fatty acids needed to rebalance your hormones and eradicate inflammation, the body starts craving that stuff. So it's crazy because I had a client who had never want, she never wanted to eat mackerel. And she was like, there's no way I'm touching sardines. I was like, okay, so mackerel, let's try. And at first she was like, I thought I was going to puke. And now she tells me that her body craves it. And that is simply a way for your body to finally have recognized something that works for it as far as taking care of hormonal imbalance and inflammation. And then it asks for it. So people might be surprised. It may sound gross, but it's actually great. And then I would say one tablespoon of olive oil for lunch on your salad oh, and one tablespoon for dinner on your sautéed broccoli. That's amazing. It goes such a long way and nothing's going to happen to you. What are some brands of sardines? Because now I'm inspired to order sardines to my house. Is there a brand that you have in France that we can all go Google and find? You know, that's another thing that's so American that you guys go with brands for food. We don't. Actually here, we often buy the, um, like the supermarket brand even, even the cheapest. We, we don't have that here because our products are so good. 
So what I will say is whatever brand you can turn over and see that no shit was added or the least shit possible. The reason that I personally am am obsessed with brands is because so often we're told to eat something and we go and eat it. And then you look in the ingredients in America and it's got citric, citrus this and and gum this and, and gar this. So that's why for me, that's why I am always asking about brands. But when I Google sardines, you guys, I'm just telling you, I'm going to type in French sardines and see if anything shows you can do French sardines, Swedish, Norwegian tr- sardine. Like you can really, I mean, as long as, it comes from Europe, you're already doing good. Okay, so I wanted to call something out. I was working out with you for a while and you kept telling me that my neck was swollen a little bit. And this was actually before I got pregnant. And I didn't really think anything of it. And then after pregnancy, I finally went to a hormone doctor and they found that I had low thyroid. And after balancing out my thyroid, I lost 20 pounds in like a month and a half because I had all this weight that my body was hanging on to. And not only from the weight loss standpoint, I also had and have so much more energy and so much clarity. And I feel so much better um, getting my thyroid balanced out. How many people do you see with low or high thyroid? And what would you recommend for that? Is there anything we can be eating, tests we should be taking, et cetera? So the testing thing is really tricky, but I do remember the first thing I said to you, and that was before you got pregnant, you used to always tell me like, why am I always so fucking tired? And I, I mean, you're like, you're 10 years younger than me almost. So I couldn't understand. And then I noticed that your neck was slightly swollen and I kind of put it together and believe it or not, hypothyroidism is something that so many women walk around with and there's a reason for that very often you go get tested and your levels come back middle range which in medicine as much in america as in france is completely acceptable and that to me is enraging because there's a difference between medicine and actual therapy for example You go to a doctor and he looks at your chart. He's looking at numbers and things he's learned in medical school. That is all about where you're supposed to be on the chart. Like you remember when you were little, you used to go to your pediatrician and you used to look at your weight and your uh, your height on a curve. And you would tell your parent, yeah, she's the right weight and the right height for her age. Do you remember that curve where doctors would put that little dot each time you would go to kind of look at your growth? They still do that. Zaza has that done every time she goes to the doctor. So it's kind of the same with hormones. And that is so unfair because hormones come with symptoms. And the problem that I have with hormone specialists and endocrinologists is that very often there is a range of women that they completely don't want to see. Those women are not heard and they're not seen. And those are the women that are middle range or slightly low range. And the problem with that is that you go to the doctor, he finds your middle range, so he's not going to give you any medication. Great. But you go, doctor, I'm still unable to lose weight. I still am 10 or 20 pounds overweight. I'm losing a gulp of hair, like a, a handful of hair. 
I'm not sleeping well at night. I, my, my hands shake when I go work out. I work out like a mad woman and I bulk up and I can't lose weight. I retain so much water. And this doctor looks at you and he goes, yeah, have magnesium, have zinc, have iron. They throw all these supplements in your face, but they don't really look at it like anything is wrong with you. That's pretty much, you almost feel like when you leave the doctor, if you're not leaving with medication and you're living with, you're kind of leaving the office with a list of supplements, it's kind of like you've lost that battle. He hasn't heard you. And you're going home with all of these symptoms that are not acceptable to you, but they're acceptable medically. And that is being middle range and very often slightly hypo, you know, slightly suffering from a slight hypothyroidism, which is a low thyroid. And there are so many things you can do for that that you don't do because you don't know. One of them, for example, again, is eating fatty acids. Another another one is eating probiotics. People rush to eat, to take probiotics. As I'm saying this, a bunch of people are on Amazon right now, as they're listening, buying a probiotic with a super nice packaging or whatever. The problem when it comes to hormones is that the more you consume things, even supplements that are in packaging, the less likely you are to, to have the solution for your hormones. Your hormones don't like stuff that is packaged. Your hormones like stuff that are plants and that are foods. So the first thing you want to do before you supplement with anything, not that supplements are bad, they are wonderful, some of them, but also you can go wrong. So you want to put them aside for a minute. The first thing you want to do is implement stuff like probiotic yogurt. So like I said, go to a Middle Eastern shop, buy kefir yogurt, labneh. If you're intolerant to lactose, there's the coconut cult in the United States, which is probiotic, or you can buy kefir grains and make your own yogurt. That's why I sell them as well. You can go to a Turkish store and find grains and you can harvest them and ferment them and make your own vegan yogurt with them, with coconut milk. The best thing to do is to first do that. Eat some sauerkraut and then look at your environment. So we spoke about that before. When you're in hypothyroidism, you need to look at your cortisol levels. And cortisol is stress. And stress is not a fight that you had with Michael before you arrived, for example. Stress is not necessarily... The fact that you sat in traffic and it made you 10 minutes late. There are other kinds of stress. So other kinds of of stress, for example, how do you eat your vegetables? Are they raw? If they're raw, you're you're probably causing your cortisol to rise. Why? Because raw vegetables, cruciferous vegetables like broccoli or cauliflower, if you eat that raw or even a carrot, you're putting your digestive enzymes through so much work, so much work. And very often you're not eating or consuming enough prebiotics to repopulate your gut fast enough that your gut is like underpopulated and that causes your cortisol levels to rise. What happens when your cortisol levels rise? You go into estrogen dominance. And when you go into estrogen dominance, you have insulin resistance. Insulin resistance in everyone's language is the midsection fat stores that you have. 
even though you go to the gym four days a week or you go spinning four days a week or whatever it is you do to stay in shape and you still have all of that fat around your waist and you don't understand why it's so stubborn and won't go away. The same fat that you have right around the strap of your bra in the back, in your back, or the same fat that you have right under your arms. And you don't understand what that is. That's hormones. That's insulin resistance from estrogen dominance. And very often, that's because of high cortisol levels. Eating in a noisy place. Did you know that eating in a place that's super noisy can actually affect your thyroid? I learned that from you. And I learned that stuffing a hard-boiled egg in my mouth while I'm on the elevator is not effective. So now every time I eat, I eat in silence. And I know whenever Michael comes up and starts talking about something I have to do for work, I say, I'm eating, I need a moment. One of the questions that I have written down for you is something that you just touched on, and that's insulin resistance. As you know, I was told that I have insulin resistance too, and they tried to prescribe me to something called metformin, and you advised against it. What are some really easy ways, could be something so small, like adding more lemon to your diet, just making that up, that people can sort of take care of their insulin resistance without medicine? Medicine is always going to be there to fix the problem if you need it. So I'm not going to bash medicine. I, I don't like to do that. And actually, I think that professionally, I'm not allowed to do that. So I'm not going to say anything about medicine other that it's always going to be there if you need it. The first thing you should try if what you are feeling is not life-threatening is to go the natural way. There are so many ways to try and prevent insulin resistance. So insulin resistance, just so you know, it's easy to know you have it. If, for example, like I said, you go to the gym, you eat a really low-carb diet or low-calorie diet, you do everything that you're supposed to do, and you still have this midsection stubborn fat that you can't lose, or you tend to bulk up for no reason. So that's insulin resistance. And that comes from things that you actually are doing to get in shape that are counterproductive. So for example, if you go to boot camp or you're doing HIIT workouts and you're past the age of 30 and you have a tendency to being a little bit, to have a, a low thyroid, chances are you will have insulin resistance from those workouts. So they may work wonderfully for some women and you see that they are ripped and they have dry toned muscles but it's not working for you, that's because you are in, you are resisting insulin. So what you can do is definitely switch your workout, for example, to low impact. And when people hear low impact, they think I'm talking about yoga and meditation. Low impact is not yoga and meditation. They are very, very hard workouts, very challenging workouts that are low impact. Boxing is low impact, for example. Most people don't know that, but the reason why boxers are in such good shape, the reason why their muscles are so dry, and what I mean by a dry muscle is a muscle that was drained of the water that's around it as opposed to a bulky muscle. It's a different kind of body type per se, not even body type, of a way of building muscle. The reason, look at Muhammad Ali, the body that he had, he, he, he looked pretty much uh, like the way that you want your muscles to look when you feel like you need to dry up and lean out, right? Yet he looked really healthy and not too skinny. He's a boxer. That's low impact. 
the method is low impact. Pilates is low impact, but you need to watch out with Pilates because now with all the reformers, they add a lot of heavy weights on them. So this is where I draw the line. And that's kind of where Pilates kind of lost me and I went my own way and I patented my own method. That was the reason when I saw that they started adding weights much heavier than our body weight, which kind of defeats the purpose of the original, the fundamental Pilates that Joseph Pilates created. So that is where you watch out for insulin resistance. You draw the line to the kind of workout that you do, the environment, don't work out in the dark. There's a lot of classes now. Well, now there's nothing because of COVID, but you remember we used to see them a lot on social media, these classes, spinning classes or bootcamp classes are in very dark spaces. Or they're screaming at you. They're screaming through a mic and the music is so horrible. I now, when I work out, want classical music. I don't want to be screamed at. I don't want my cortisol to raise. And that's all because of you, because you told me you need to lower your cortisol. And what I don't understand is why you would want to be yelled at and have your cortisol rise when you're doing something for yourself and taking the time to work out. For me, it just made no sense. So now all my workouts are to bossa nova or classical music, very low impact, not that kind of like Barry's boot camp type of workout, if that makes sense. So Barry's is going to work great for some, for some people. I have a friend, it looks amazing on her. And that's probably because she has her hormones in check for one reason or the other. So this is really an advice that I direct to those that are doing all these things and they're not working for them. This is not about bashing a spinning class or the red light uh, in the dark in the spinning class or the screaming. There are people that are completely unaffected or really young and their hormones have not had these problematic stages yet. But we are talking about the people that are struggling with that and they're not seeing the results. The best thing you could do for your cortisol levels and avoiding insulin resistance is being very mindful of the workout that you do, as well as the environment in which you do it. One other thing that you can do, which is very, very beneficial, is going for sunlight or daylight the second you wake up. Don't put SPF on. Don't put sunglasses on. This is the French way. In eight minutes, nothing's going to happen to your skin. Even if you have hyperpigmentation, it's not going to happen in eight minutes. Put your face to the sun. Open the window, even if it's cold. Make sure that you face the sun and get some sun on your face. And if there's no sun where you are, let's say you're in Canada, you know, the midst of the winter, daylight will do. This is incredible for uh, your hormones as well. And it really, really helps with avoiding insulin resistance. And just a side note, I do not bake in the sun. We all know this. We all know on on the boat with you, I was putting a towel over my head. But one thing I do do is every single morning I wake up, I open the shades immediately. I open the windows and I do let the sun touch my face. And that was inspired by you. And it's it does something to your eyes, too, that just wakes you up. Yeah. So having that, that light in the morning is lot. nice. Um, so that helps hormones so much. And it's funny because if you think about it, even your mood changes when you're in the sun. So mood comes from your hormones. Just think about that. That's another thing you can do. And that's another thing you should do either way. One of the questions that I have written down throughout this conversation is about environment. We touched on it, but what are some things that we can do 
to lower cortisol in our environment? And also, what are some environments that we're surrounded around that are maybe not the best? For instance, Michael has this room in our house that has 6,000 plugs. You can hear the sound of the computer. And whenever I walk in there, I know this sounds crazy, the energy is really off because there's there's so much electronics and video games and all this shit packed in there that it feels very unnatural. Can you talk about some of those those environments that we're in that are unnatural and how we can bring a little bit more softness and feminine energy to them? I mean, these environments for some people are their livelihood. So we can't tell them not to do it or we can't tell them, oh, you know what? You're fucked. You, you, this is your environment. These little things you can do. So for example, in my house, my environment that contributes to calming everything down for me is my coffee station. And I curated it like in a way where it totally resembles what I want to feel and how I want to feel in the morning. So, for example, I put like my coffee machine in that corner and all these pretty like rose gold utensils, like my scoops for my inulin. And actually, the inulin jars that I created were even inspired by that. I was like, no, you don't want to look at something that looks like a big bulk supplement from the morning that looks like medication or like I'm going to be pumping iron at the gym after I I consume that. I wanted something that looked so chic and that kind of reflected the way that I want to feel. So the calmness and all of that. So For me, for example, my coffee station, and I continue to curate it. Each time I find something on Amazon or I'm like, oh, this would look so good. And each time the kids or Jill pass by, they kind of look at it and go, you know, like this has become like a monument. And I'm like, yeah, move the fuck along. Don't worry about it. So for me, for example, my coffee station is my little haven and it, it helps. So I would say, have yourself a little corner and curate it the way that you want it. If it's a little bit of art, If like me, for example, you love peacocks, put a peacock there, like a rose gold peacock, like things like that, that are visually so attractive to you will definitely help soothe you. So for me, for example, the coffee station also is great because I have a window right across from it that brings all the light and I have the view as well. So you kind of, you want to feng shui it. I love those tips. And your coffee station is so calming. I can tell all the way from LA. It really is. Can you talk to us about the doorbell? Tell me about the fucking doorbell. Because when you told me this, I was dying on the ground. So the doorbell, <laughs> I fucking hate the By doorbell. The way, I, have I hate I the doorbell. On my Postmates, don't ring the door. I cannot stand the sound of the doorbell. It's nothing personal. I just, there's something about it that's so jarring and feels so disruptive and is so distracting. So the doorbell is actually one thing that will cause your cortisol levels to rise in the most unhealthy way. Let me explain. Your cortisol levels are supposed to rise. And it's important that I say that because I have people who will write to me and say, but I have low cortisol levels and my doctor wants me to rise them. Your cortisol levels are supposed to rise. The reason why we say to lower your cortisol levels is because most of the time we tend to have lifestyles where nothing goes gradually. We're extra. So your cortisol levels are supposed to rise gradually in the morning and slowly in the evening, they're supposed to decrease. But none of us actually without 
being mindful, put ourselves through this beautiful process as, as it should be. The bell, the doorbell, especially if you have dogs, which I do, we will start barking and like someone will start screaming, can someone answer the door? All of that takes your cortisol level from like zero to a hundred in a nanosecond. And that is the worst thing you can do. It's like you're literally bruising your adrenal glands. If that makes sense, I'm trying to give a visual for people who have no knowledge at all, no scientific knowledge about hormones. So it's kind of like you're hitting that, that bell. So it's hitting so hard inside your core and it's creating these cortisol levels to just rise from zero to a hundred without going through the healthy gradual rise that you're supposed to have. So me, for example, my phone, my phone is on vib- vibration all day long. I don't even have a ring. We were talking about that the other day. She was like, I don't even know what your phone ring is. My phone doesn't ring. No, I I have to have mine on silent. And that's, I got two phones because it it was, it was affecting my life to hear that ding, 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 ding every day. And it's not just like text messages or calls. It's also notifications, DMs. And I think just even putting your phone away in the morning and focusing on, like you said, getting the light, getting the coffee, making the bed, doing those things has helped me really lower my cortisol levels, I think. Yeah. So you see, it it really it really stems from very little. People are going to think that you're going to tell them to do a complete lifestyle change. And for most people, it's impossible, especially now with COVID. You have all your kids home, your whole family home, the dogs are home everyone's home. So what I would say is it's, and it's, it's French as well. It's like, it's easier to change the little things than the big things. Don't be extra. I know I've said this to you so much throughout our friendship, but that's really my advice. Don't be extra. Change the little things rather than the big things. One of the questions that I get a lot is about inulin in my coffee. I like to do inulin every single day in my coffee. I know you're not allowed to say this, but I am. I did it the whole time I was pregnant. I did it postpartum. And it's really good for your gut, tons of prebiotics. Can you speak on inulin and why you saw that there was a need for it in the market? The way that I found inulin is because I was looking for fiber. And I realized that we consume fiber, but the fiber we consume today in 2021 is not the fiber that we consumed in 2010 or in 2000. Or for me, when I was younger in 1990s, the fiber today is stripped off of the vegetables that we eat, even if you eat very organic and very good veggies. And for me, that became a concern, as a matter of fact, because of my hormones. I've noticed throughout the years and a few miscarriages that I was having a problem with estrogen dominance. And the best way for the liver to exert the excess estrogen in the body is to consume fiber. So on a quest to consume fiber, I did the whole Gigi Cracker thing. Then I realized it was making me like, it was giving me brain fog. I stopped it, even though I really, really like loved it. And I started looking into a few things. And around the same time I was looking for it, Dylan was graduating uh, from high school. And we spoke about that in the first podcast episode when I came onto your podcast and you came to Monaco, Dylan was on the spectrum of autism. So today he's no longer on the spectrum, but there are some, there are still some specks of 
symptoms of it. And throughout his exams, he was having a hard time concentrating. And I noticed that certain foods that he ate were affecting his ability to concentrate and his attention span. And I started looking for me, the fiber, how can we put more fiber, eating more vegetables? I was feeling so full. It wasn't working for me. Just, you know, adding in the volume of vegetables from the actual French portions I'm used to, that wasn't working. And at the same time, I was looking for Dylan. There was this kind of intolerance to gluten that affected his attention span and intolerance to cheese and all of that. And throughout the research, I came out looking at the NEMCHEC protocol, which is for kids with autism and how the gut to brain axis actually is a very real thing. And I kind of said, wow, they're talking about something called inulin. And I had heard a French doctor talk about it. And I had heard as well that in Poland, they use it, they used to use it in the bread. Rich people used to use it in the bread to feel more full. So there's a satiation effect to it. And so I started looking into inulin and I started using it and it did wonders for me. I would be bloated, like I'm thin and I was working out, as you remember, when I had the studio open, I mean, today it's not really open because of COVID, but I was working six, seven hours a day, training clients, working out with them. Still, I had incredible abs, but they were covered up with bloat like a four months old, like a four month pregnant belly. And I knew that there was a problem with my estrogen dominance. I knew I needed fiber. I knew packing up, packing more vegetables than the usual portions I was used to was not going to work. I tried the inulin. I farted my way through the first three weeks or four weeks. (laughs) And I understood that it was my gut repopulating and flushing all the shit out. And then magic happened. I didn't have that bloat that I used to get after 2 p.m. every day on, you know, my six pack, which to me as, you know, a fitness professional made no sense. So that's how I discovered Inulin and that's how I thought it would work for other people. But the only reason I put it on in the market is because when you came to Monaco, we made a video on how to make Inulin coffee with the Inulin I was using at the time. And you said to me, you said, this is just genius. You have to put it on the market before someone else takes the idea. And you inspired me. You pressured me because you're very, very, you're, you're very compelling. When you advise something, you repeat it until it's kind of like in my brain. You insisted so much and you inspired me and I worked on sourcing it. I'm annoying. On the market. I'm really annoying. I don't shut the fuck up. I can't help it. Yeah. But you have really good ideas. I've learned over the years that it's it, it's worth nice. listening to you. That's very nice. Like I said, you guys have to check out her inulin. I would like to know, as someone who is so amazing at cooking, what are some little tiny things that people who are very busy can do? For instance, I'll give you one thing that I've seen on your Instagram story that I think is such a great tip. You add pine nuts to your salads. Yes. It's so easy. It's fatty acids. It's quick. You throw it on there. That's a little tip, a little trick. Do you have any more of those for us? Absolutely. You can, for example, make chicken. Super easy. A little bit of olive oil. A lot of spices. So you can use, you can find those in the supermarket. You have like stuff to make tagine, like Moroccan spice, because you know I like to cook Moroccan. 
a little bit of cumin. Cumin is amazing. And then once you finish cooking it, you can throw some sesame seeds. Sesame seeds are incredible fatty acids. So for example, you put that on the chicken. Now you have a protein that's coated with fatty acids. Fatty acids are incredible for your endocrine system. That's, that's a great tip. And no one thinks about them. That's like that, that food is completely underrated and it's incredible. I absolutely loved your book. It's called Fuck My Life. It is so good, you guys. If you want an amazing beach read or something to read while your significant others passed out next to you, or you just want to sort of tap out and go to another world, Ingrid's book is so raw. It's real. It talks all about her life. And I know that once you read it, you're going to be obsessed. Her content always has value. Her products come from Monaco. I'm such a fan of her inulin. There's so many tips and tricks that I've implemented into my own life. You have to check her out. Pimp yourself out to the audience. Tell everyone where they can find your products, your books, the method, your Instagram, everything. So you can find my products on themethodmc.com. MC stands for Monaco, themethodmc.com. You can find me on Instagram at Ingrid Delamar Kenny. And you could find my book, Fuck My Life, on Amazon. I love you. You can come back on the podcast anytime. I think next time we do a podcast together, it's for sure going to be in person. And let's do beauty like beauty-based podcast, all of our beauty tips and tricks, because I know you have a lot of those as well. You know what else we need to do? Because I get obsessed questions, questions about friendships. Like people are so obsessed with our friendship. And I feel we already did one podcast on Pardon My French on my podcast, but I feel like the next time I come on, we need to talk about friendship, like, you know, supporting each other. People always ask me about our friendship. Done. Ingrid will be back, you guys. I, I, <laughs> I will be going to see you in Monaco or St. Bart's or somewhere, and we are podcasting. I love you so much. Thank you for taking the time. Go follow Ingrid on Instagram. I know you guys will absolutely love her. And in the beginning of this episode, I will share the other podcast episode she was on. Thanks for listening. We are giving away inulin. So many of you guys love inulin. I don't blame you. I'm obsessed too. I put it in my coffee, my smoothies, my oatmeal. It is so amazing. So we're going to give away one beautiful package of inulin. All you have to do is tell us your favorite part of this episode on my latest Instagram at The Skinny Confidential. Super easy to enter. And of course, follow Ingrid on Instagram. See you next time. 